This is Sarah Lemon, author of the Holdish blog and food writer for the Meal Tribune newspaper in Southern Oregon. This podcast is produced for the Meal Tribune and Rosebud Media. You can find it online at www.mealtribune.com forward slash podcasts and on my blog, The Whole Dish, www.mealtribune.com forward slash lifestyle forward slash the hyphen whole hyphen dish. It's also available at blogs.esouthernoregon.com forward slash rogue hyphen valley hyphen food, which is the mobile version. Recently, I started writing a bi-weekly column for the Meal Tribune under the same name as my blog, The Whole Dish. And this, of course, comes after more than a decade of writing various stories for the Meal Tribune about aspects of local food, business features, farmers, ranchers, um, specialty foods producers, things that were going on in the local food scene. And of course, putting many, many, many recipes in the paper's food section over the years that I served as a section editor. And from all that, as well as my experience writing the Holdish blog for the paper for the past dozen or so years, I developed my own approach to cooking, which can be described appropriately as the whole dish, sort of from three different aspects. And I presented those in my debut column last month in the Mail Tribune's food section a la carte, which comes out on Wednesdays. And I'll just reiterate here quickly the principles of the way I approach cooking that can be described as a whole dish. First of all, with whole foods, which I'll delve into more as the weeks and months go on but of course means as minimally processed as possible, as close to nature as possible. It's using the whole food, the entire thing, of course, to promote kitchen economy, prevent waste, and and ultimately try to be in line with principles of sustainability, as I think of them in the kitchen. And also feeding the whole family from very young children, which I have, three and five-year-old sons, to anyone with dietary sensitivities, you know, special diet requirements, or just, you know, preferences, accommodating people's preferences as well, I certainly think is important and and something I'm always willing to try to do to the best of my abilities. And I've kind of been going in reverse a little bit with my column, rather than in order, delving more into cooking for the whole family. And this week's column builds on that, as well as the concept of how to adapt dishes, which I really, really want to promote in in my column, is freeing people from their reliance on recipes and really empowering cooks, which I already mentioned, to make food their own and not produce someone else's idea of of what you should be cooking. And so this week's column uses a recipe for West African sweet potato and peanut soup, sort of as the illustrator. And the backstory to that recipe is that I was craving something, it's basically curry, Indian curry, at least the way that I can make it at home, incorporating meat, vegetables, and sort of a, a thick sauce that I could spoon over rice. I just really had that kind of dish in mind as something that would make me feel good for the day, warm me up. But of course, that genre of cuisine is really not all that familiar to my sons. Certainly something spicy would not appeal to them at dinner time. And, and I want to make something they can eat as well, um, both 
as a as a healthful meal, but also to start to introduce them just a little bit to things that maybe are less familiar. But of course, couldn't be spicy. But what's the point of making an Indian curry if it doesn't at least have a certain degree of heat, at least in my opinion? So I, I kind of abandoned the idea of curry per se and started brainstorming some other kind of stew with maybe an exotic spice palette a little bit, a little bit of a different sensibility. And I knew I'd heard, I already knew I wanted to use sweet potatoes, which are one of my boys' favorite vegetables. I had homemade lamb stock that I wanted to use and some little bits of braised lamb that were the byproduct of making that stock that I also wanted to incorporate. And in trying to think of what else I could make that would be curry-like but wasn't curry, this I recipe for West African sweet potato peanut soup surfaced in my memory. And it was posted all the way back in the very first year I started writing my blog in 2007, on November 30th, 2007, under the headline, Soliciting More Sweet Potato Recipes. And this was post-Thanksgiving, trying to give readers more ideas of what to do with sweet potatoes other than that often very sweet casserole that's common at the Thanksgiving table. You can go back and find this recipe, and the easiest way to do that is to select from the archives drop-down menu on the right-hand side of the page. Select 2007, November 2007, and it should be right there at the top of the page on November 30th. 30th was the last entry for that month. I'll get into that recipe a little bit more in, in a minute, but I wanted to just talk a little bit more about the idea of adapting recipes. When I looked at this, I realized it was supposed to be a pureed soup, a silky pureed soup, which I love, but it wasn't what I was looking for on that particular evening. So I just thought, well, I'll just prepare it up to the point of pureeing it. I mean, I I don't, I can, if it's not pureed, it's basically a stew and it should be thick enough that I can spoon it over rice. And so it's that sort of willingness to think for oneself, not follow a recipe, obviously, like it's doctrine, that leads to our own creative process in the kitchen. And I like to think of composing a dish sort of like composing a piece of music or creating a piece of artwork. And I'm not going to take credit for this metaphor. It's not original. And I think I might have first heard it from a woman who I was interviewing several years back who teaches quote-unquote intuitive cooking classes. But if you think about that, the creative process, cooking as a creative process, which for many people it is, and certainly chefs are being heralded as culinary artisans, and they absolutely are, the method of the dish, whether we are sautéing, roasting, or braising, could often be likened to the key that a composer sets a piece of music in or the medium that an artist chooses for a work. The ingredients, your meat, vegetables, fruits, grains, um, the substance is like a composition, individual notes, or the color palette that an artist chooses. And the seasonings of a dish, spices, herbs, are sort of like musical expression, the manner of playing it, where you sort of get the emotion. And in artwork, maybe it could be 
likened to an artist's very particular brush strokes or just their touch with the medium that makes it really um, individual, makes it stand out. And those things may resonate with some people more than others. Some people might find that to make total sense. For others of us, it's maybe a little bit more of a stretch. And certainly this takes practice. If you don't just have a natural flair for cooking, like, you know, a natural flair for art or music. And so I certainly would encourage people to keep practicing. That's only how good cooks become great cooks. And I want to give people sort of the encouragement and some tools and tips for doing that. So my column that is in the Mail Tribune's food section this week, Wednesday, March 13th, delves a little bit more into that. The idea of how I considered texture, um, you know, the texture of the sweet potato sort of mimicking the texture of the lamb, both ingredients about approximately the same size, texture of chunky peanut butter sort of mimicking the texture of the whole coriander seeds that I like and I, I crush up. And how different spices complement or contrast with others. The fact I could add just a teeny, teeny, tiny bit of cayenne pepper and it would be offset by the peanut butter and the brown sugar in this dish, which is why it sort of popped up into my memory. Um, And of course, the punchline was after I tried to make a dish that wasn't spicy, (laughs) but still sort of engaged the palate in an interesting way, my son decided that he would put sriracha sauce all over his portion when he saw me add a little bit to the corner of my plate, because that must be what he should do if mom was doing it, even though I told him it wasn't ketchup, stirred it in to his stew and very, very quickly realized it, it was not something that he could eat. And we got him a new portion and I showed him how he could just put a little tiny bit of sauce if he really want to try it, dip the tines of his fork into that and then scoop up a bite of food. And he was game. He did it several times and I was very proud of him that he was willing to try something new and surprised me. I thought I had his taste pinpointed and clearly every time parents think they have their kids figured out, something changes. So it was another another lesson in, in parenting around food in the kitchen that I'm enjoying sharing with readers. Now I can delve into this recipe for West African sweet potato soup. And again, I will give my suggestions sort of midstream for how I adapted this from a soup to a stew. It's entirely your choice, and it's entirely something you could adapt even further with additional vegetables, different kinds of meats. It's a very flexible recipe concept, which is one reason why I really like it. So it's from America's Test Kitchen, and again, posted the Whole Dish blog November 30th, 2007, West African Sweet Potato and Peanut Soup. It calls for two tablespoons unsalted butter, a medium onion. You could use yellow, white, or red. Of course, red will yield a stronger flavor. A teaspoon light brown sugar, teaspoon salt, three medium garlic cloves, a half teaspoon ground coriander, an eighth to a quarter teaspoon cayenne pepper, three and a half cups low sodium chicken broth, two pounds of sweet potatoes, three tablespoons peanut butter, freshly ground black pepper, and a tablespoon of minced fresh cilantro leaves. So start by peeling and mincing the onion. Heat a large Dutch oven over medium-high heat and melt the two tablespoons butter in the pan. Add 
the peeled and minced onion and start sauteing that, stirring. Once the onion starts to soften up a little bit and go a little bit translucent, you can add the teaspoon of light brown sugar, which will help it further caramelize, and a teaspoon salt. Cook that stirring frequently until the onion is softened for a total of about five to seven minutes. Now, at this point, you need to peel and mince those garlic cloves. You can be doing that as you're stirring the pan. If you have a garlic press, you, you like that, tool which those were popular a couple of decades back can use that as well simply press the garlic through that into the pan or peel and mince those three medium garlic cloves turn down the heat slightly on the pan to about medium and stir in the minced garlic it burns very easily so it should be cooked on lower heat and for only just a short period of time stirring and also add the same time the half teaspoon ground coriander, more or less, depending on how much you like coriander. I also added just a little bit of cumin to this, not enough that it would really overpower, but I find that coriander and cumin complement each other nicely. And of course, I had been sort of looking for that little bit of an Indian flavor, and that's an, another spice that does show up in Indian spice pastes as well. Also, an eighth to a quarter teaspoon cayenne pepper. I erred on the low side, of course, for my kids. I think I just put a pinch, but, you know, up to a quarter teaspoon or maybe even more if you like really spicy. The stew is not intended to be spicy. It should just have that suggestion of heat. And certainly not if you're eating it as a pureed soup. You don't want each bite to be spicy hot because there really isn't, once it's all incorporated, there isn't any other flavor note to offset that, you know, between bites. So I would kind of go on the lower end of spice for this. All those in the pan, cook until they're fragrant. It's, it only takes about 30 seconds. And then add three and a half cups low-sodium chicken broth is what this calls for. I also had lamb stock. Beef stock would yield a heartier flavor. Really any that you have on hand, and particularly if it's homemade, is great. If you are going to puree the soup, you can add up to two cups water additionally. If you're going to leave this as a stew, intending to serve it maybe with the side of rice, add only up to a quart total of liquid, and I would make that all stock. Bring that up to a boil and you should be peeling the two pounds of sweet potatoes. That's only about three medium sweet potatoes. Now, if you're going to serve this as a stew, dice those in nice cubes. If you're going to puree this as a soup, you can chop these much more roughly and just toss them into the pan. It's really determined, is determined by the presentation of this, how you intend to serve it. So either way, Nicely diced cubes of sweet potato or just more roughly chopped sweet potato in the pan with the liquid, as well as three tablespoons peanut butter. Again, if you're going to serve this as a stew, I like chunky peanut butter. If this is going to be pureed as a soup, I would recommend the smooth peanut butter, obviously. Whatever you have on hand, of course, is, is going to be fine. But if you're going for that really, really fine texture, just give yourself a head start and start with the smooth peanut butter. Bring the mixture to a boil over high heat and reduce the heat to low, cooking partially covered until the sweet potatoes are easily pierced with a knife. Now, this will happen much more quickly if they have been diced into uniform cubes. It only took mine about 15 minutes, as far as I recall. 
It'll take longer if they're more roughly chopped with the intent of pureeing, maybe 30 minutes. It depends, of course, on the type of sweet potato, whether you've chosen the garnet yams, the yellow fleshed variety, or even the purple skinned Japanese sweet potato. They're all slightly different. They all have slightly different moisture contents. And the cooking time really is best determined by when the point of a fork slides in easily. So at this point, if you're serving this as a stew, you could augment it with other really quick cooking vegetables, which would offer a nice little contrast. Maybe some frozen peas would be great, might sort of be reminiscent of like an Indian samosa, sweet potato, peas are a common filling. Maybe some chopped greens, either spinach, chard, kale, collard greens, those cook very quickly. Um, If you have little bits of meat, like I had left over from another meal, either roast chicken, I had little bits of lamb, anything you happen to have on hand, you can toss that into or just keep this vegetarian. If you are going to puree it at this point, don't, don't add any additional ingredients. Just leave it at the sweet potatoes. No, no chunks of meat or anything. And either using a blender or food processor, working in batches, or if you have an immersion blender, which I do really love that you can use right in the soup pot, that's very handy as well. If you need to use your blender or food processor, probably going to want to transfer half the soup to a con- another container, maybe the container you're going to store it in, and half to your appliance. It does have a tendency to spatter when it's hot. So when using your blender, you want to remove um, that top little venting feed tube in the blender lid and place a kitchen towel over it so it, it some of that steam can come out, but it won't spatter. Food processor doesn't do that quite so much, but you probably will do half the batch and return it to the pot and then take the, the other half from your container and pu- proceed to puree it as well. Once you bring it back up to temperature for serving, adjust the seasonings any way you like. You can stir in the tablespoon of minced fresh cilantro leaves. If you intended to serve this as a stew like I did, I like to leave the cilantro leaves whole and just scatter them across the top of my portion. This makes four to six servings. It freezes beautifully as either a stew or particularly as a pureed soup without, doesn't have any dairy, so it doesn't separate. It would store very nicely for several months in the freezer. We can sort of grab it as a, as a quick, quick and easy meal solution on, on busy nights. So that is West African sweet potato and peanut soup adapted to sweet potato and peanut stew. That recipe is originally from the best international recipe by America's Test Kitchen and adapted by myself <laughs> for the whole dish column in this week's Mail Tribune food section a la carte. You can read that at www.mailtribune.com forward slash lifestyle forward slash food. Find more of my tips for adapting recipes, more of my, my thoughts and encouragement, and certainly give this one a try as a starting point for adjusting it to your taste, serving it how your family would like it. And again, thinking of foundations for dishes and how to build on methods with specific ingredients and really make them come alive and make them your own with the seasonings and spices that you like. Thank you for listening to and reading The Whole Dish.